Be seated. And please turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. As we begin the season of Advent together, our first text on the topic of hope this morning will be from 1 Peter chapter 1. As you're turning there, also want to um, encourage the church to be in prayer for our dear sister, one of our deacons here, Francine, whose mother passed away, and uh, Francine has traveled to Illinois to be with her family, and so please pray for Francine uh, in this difficult, uh, grieving time for her. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Our Advent text for this morning. First Peter chapter 1, the Holy Spirit of God says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask now that you would sanctify us in the truth, and your word is the truth. Lord, we believe that uh, the hope of the gospel has been revealed in the scriptures that when you sent your son, Jesus, and the word became flesh, that the hopes and the fears of all the years were met in Christ, and that Jesus has come uh, to bring hope as far as the curse is found. And Lord, we know that includes not only our own hearts, but the entire world broken by sin. And so we hope this morning in the first advent of the Lord Jesus, where he came to save us from our sins, and our hope is in his second coming, when he will make all things new. And Father, we even have hope this morning uh, that your Holy Spirit can and will take your word and uh, that as we just sang um, where hearts will still receive Christ this morning, he will enter in, uh, that he will cast out our sin through faith in the good news. And so we ask this morning, um, Lord, that through your word, that through the sacrament, that you would make our hearts believe. We pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the Word made flesh, and we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, who inspired the prophets and the apostles to write your holy word. Amen. The late, great Dr. Tim Keller once told the story in, in one of his Advent sermons about the brilliant Russian author Leo Tolstoy. Leo Tolstoy authored many books, his most noteworthy being War and Peace. 
And Tolstoy was a member of the elite Russian intelligentsia, and so naturally he was an atheist. And around the time that Leo Tolstoy turned 50, he wrote a book called My Confession. And in that book, Tolstoy talks about how he returned from atheism to a form of Christianity. I don't really know. I tried to do some research this week. I, I don't know if I could put my finger on what kind of Christian Leo Tolstoy ended up being. Seemed like he was more progressive. But he moved from identifying as an atheist to identifying as some form of Christian. And this is how it happened. Tolstoy one day said he was struck with the thought, what happens to me when I die? What's going to happen? I'm going to die and then what? And as an atheist, the answer was quite simply nothing. Nothing happens when you die. You just cease to exist. And then one day the sun will burn out and everything will just cease to exist. And then there just will simply be nothing. That is what atheism believes. Naturalism, uh, that's the end. That's what's going to happen. And Tolstoy thought if that's true... If there is no God, if everything is naturalistic to its core, if, if when I die I simply cease to exist and one day there's going to be nothing that exists, then, well, then what's the point? Why keep writing? Why do anything if ultimately, when it's all said and done, there's nothing? Tolstoy's friends told him, Leo, you're just thinking too much. Man, just go enjoy your life. You're rich. You, you, you're an artist. You know, go to the beach. Go spend your money. Just enjoy your life. Just don't think about what happens after you die. And Leo Tolstoy came to the conclusion, how good can a worldview actually be if it requires that you not think about the implications of that worldview in order to have hope and peace and joy and love? We find ourselves once again this morning at the start of a new church calendar year. Today is the first Sunday of Advent 2023. The word Advent comes from the Latin word adventus. It, it means coming or arriving. We often tell uh, children when teaching them about Advent in church and worship and liturgy that Advent means Jesus is coming. Advent, of course, is the annual season on the church calendar that prepares us for the coming or the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in his 
incarnation on Christmas, which then leads to Christmas, the season of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas and then are the 11 days following Christmas. It's not the 12 days before Christmas. So this is Advent season and then Christmas season starts on Christmas for the 12 days of Christmas. And we begin each liturgical year with Advent, with the coming, with the arrival of Jesus, with the, the celebrating the Father, sending his Son. Every year at Advent, for, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have looked back on the first coming of Jesus. They, they look forward to the second coming of Jesus when he will return to raise the dead, judge the world, and make all things new. And every year on the first Sunday of Advent, which is today, we always light the first purple candle. You see, uh, Pastor Brett did so after our call to worship. The first purple candle is the hope candle. And so what we do every year on the first Sunday of Advent is we think together, we think together about the hope that has been given to us, revealed to us in the first and second advents of the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin every Advent season with the hope candle because Advent is all about hope. And Christians are the only people in the world who know what genuine hope is. So maybe this is the first time in your life that that you're actually going to be hearing about genuine hope. Or maybe this sermon will just be one more time that your soul is fed with the old, old story. But either way, if we want to know what genuine hope is, what living hope is, We must look to the scriptures because the scriptures are the only place where God speaks. So we're going to think about hope this morning. And starting in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, the Holy Spirit tells us the reason why we can have hope. The why of hope. And the answer that the the scripture gives us is the mercy of God the Father. That's why we can have hope, because God is merciful. Peter begins in verse 3 by praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is so fitting, of course. It is right It is right to begin with acknowledgement and worship of God because God is the creator, because God is the sustainer, because God is the redeemer, because God is the sovereign, because God is God. He is the one true holy God. And so all of life, everything that we do should begin and end with worship of the one true God. The Father is worthy of blessedness because of his identity, because of who he is. And Peter begins with worship. And then the scripture goes on to say that it is according to God's great mercy. 
the motivation behind the hope that we have, the why of our hope, is God's mercy. One lexicon defines mercy, elios is the Greek word, this is how mercy is defined, to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. To show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. That's, that's what God does for us. God shows kindness and concern to those who are in serious need. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve eternal conscious punishment in hell because of our sin. Because we have all sinned against the one true and living God. That's what Pastor Andrew, I call him Brother Andrew, you know. That's what we did in the confession in part, right? We, we confess that we are sinners. If, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So because we're sinners, because we have rebelled against God, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve eternal conscious punishment in hell. We have cursed the one who deserves to be blessed. We have rebelled against the one we should obey. This is imperative because you cannot understand the gospel unless you understand that it is all of God's mercy. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the gospel. We sing a song here often based on the confession, the prayer of confession that we use from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. And in the chorus we sing, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy on us. Christians have prayed that prayer for, for hundreds of years because we understand that we don't deserve God's favor. We could never earn God's forgiveness Yet there is hope. Why? Why can we have hope? Because God is merciful. We were in serious need and God showed us kindness of his own initiative for his own glory. The reason we have hope is because of God's mercy. And how did God show us this mercy? How did God show us this kindness? Peter says that God showed us his kindness by causing us to be born again. So if the why of hope is God's mercy, the how of hope is that God has caused us to be born again. Uh, President Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind, they've you know, been in the news recently due to the former first lady's passing. And some of you will remember that Jimmy Carter was the first president and one of the first people in American pop culture to use the term born again. Um, 
Other presidents before him may have called themselves, you know, religious or Christian, or they may have identified themselves based on the Christian denomination that they were affiliated with. But Jimmy Carter was the first one to say regularly that he was born again. And at that point, pop culture started asking the question then, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? And maybe, maybe you're unfamiliar with that term too. Maybe you've heard it before, but you don't really understand what that means. What does it mean when Peter says that God has caused us to be born again? Well, 1 Peter 1 isn't the only place in the Bible where Scripture uses this phrase, born again. Of course, the most famous pericope in uh, the word comes from John chapter 3, where Jesus tells Nicodemus that if Nicodemus wants to see the kingdom of God, then he must be born again. And Nicodemus is confused because how can someone re-enter his mother's womb in order to be born a second time? Of course, Jesus was speaking here of a spiritual reality. To be born again is synonymous with another term the Bible uses, regeneration. To be born again means to be made new on the inside. It means to have the posture of your heart changed. And it's interesting, Peter says here that God caused us to be born again. So just like your physical birth, being born again spiritually on the inside in your heart actually is not something that you do. It is something that is done to you. It is something that is, happens to you in the same way that you were passive in your natural birth. You can only be passive in your spiritual rebirth. God is the one who causes us to be born again. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the gospel to bring new birth to dead hearts. When someone is saved, when somebody becomes a Christian, it is because they hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit changes their hearts and gives them the gift of faith and then they repent. That's what happens. So naturally, this is a good spot to pause and for all of us to evaluate, for you to ask yourself, have you been born again? How can you know? Let's just work through the framework that I, I just gave us, which is from the Bible. How do you know if you've been born again? Here's the first question you should ask yourself. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? Okay, what is faith? Do you know the good news of Jesus? Do you know that God is holy and that you are a sinner and that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is your only hope for forgiveness and eternal life? Do you know that? Secondly, have you assented that all of that knowledge is true? Not only do you know it, do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe that God is holy? Do you actually believe that you are a sinner? 
Do you actually believe that Jesus is your only hope in life and death? And then are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save you? You're not trusting in your good works. You're not trusting in a prayer you prayed. You're not trusting in your baptism. You're not trusting in your parents' church attendance. You're not trusting in your church attendance. You're not trusting in how good of a person you are or how much money you give. What are you trusting in? What is your final answer? What is the one thing that you lay your head down on the pillow at night and think, if I'm not going to hell, this is the reason? Is the answer Jesus? Is the answer the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Is your hope in Christ? Are you resting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for your justification? That means for your right standing before God. To be considered not guilty before God, is Jesus the reason you're not guilty before God? Okay, so that means that's faith. Do you have faith? Have you repented of your sin? What does that mean? Have you confessed your sin and then after confessing your sin, turned from your sin? Do you agree with what the Bible says about you and your sin? If you have genuinely repented, it's because you have faith. And if you have faith, it's because God has caused you to be born again. And if you have been born again, it's because of God's mercy. And so what is the result of this new birth? What has God caused us to be born again to? If the why of hope is God's mercy, and if the how of hope is that God has caused us to be born again, then what is the what of hope? Like, what's the content of this hope? And the answer that Peter gives us here in this text is threefold. Number one, he says we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Number two, we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And number three, we have been born again to a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let's go through those each in that order. First, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope uh, is the Greek word elpida, which means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. So hope means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. The verb living, so remember, it's, it's not just hope, it's a living hope. The verb living is the Greek word zao, which uh, it's where we get the word zoo from. The English word zoo comes from the Greek word zao. It means, it speaks to life. It speaks to being alive, to living. And so the Holy Spirit is telling us here in 1 Peter 3 that we have a, a living hope, that we have a, we can look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial and that that's, that's alive. And it's alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a sense in which the hope of Advent, this hope that we celebrate every single year leading up to Christmas and 
through Christmas and then through the rest of the year, through Easter and the coming of the Holy Spirit, back to Advent again, this hope, in a sense, is the hope of final resurrection. That is our blessed hope. It is quite literally a living hope that we're going to be alive forever, eternal life, resurrection. It is the hope that because Jesus rose from the dead, that when Jesus returns, we will be raised from the dead too. We will live forever with King Jesus. And even though we suffer and even though we struggle with sin in this life, James 4.14 says that this life is but a vapor compared to the eternal life ahead. Verse 4 says that God has caused us to be born again, not only to a living hope, but to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. So it's interesting, Dr. Tom Schreiner, who is um, a professor at Southern Seminary, uh, big-time New Testament scholar, he notes that in the Old Testament, whenever that word inheritance is used, oftentimes it's, it's referring to the promised land for Israel that was fulfilled in the book of Joshua. And so what the New Testament is doing as it's borrowing this language of inheritance is it's telling us that there's a sense in which our inheritance, that which we've been born again to, our hope, includes physical land too, the new heavens and the new earth. And Peter talks a lot about the new heavens and the new earth in his epistle. The hope of Advent is that Jesus will come again to remake the world. And that Jesus will replace sin and death with shalom, with peace. That's what Pastor Kevin's going to preach on next Sunday, the peace of Advent. And this inheritance that, that we have, this living hope, this hope of a new world and of resurrection, Peter says it's imperishable. That means it's immortal. That means it is not subject to death or decay. Our hope is not subject to death or or decay. When we resurrect from the dead, our bodies, when Jesus remakes the, the new heavens and the new earth, our bodies in this world will be imperishable. They will not be subject to death or decay. That's something we've never experienced before. Not only is our inheritance imperishable, but Peter says it's also undefiled. That means that it is ritually and morally pure. There will be no sin in the new world. We will not sin. We will not desire to sin. The world system will be eradicated by King Jesus. Satan and his demons will be cast in hell forever. No sinful flesh, no evil world system, no Satan and demons. Morally and ritually pure. Everything God wants this world to be, everything he created it to be, everything that aligns with his will, everything that falls under his law, everything that is good and true and beautiful. That's what the new world's going to be. It's going to be undefiled. 
And finally, Peter says that it's unfading. That means it can never lose its wonder, that it can never lose its pristine character. And then in verse 5, Peter tells us not only that we're born again into a living hope and we're born again into this inheritance, but thirdly, we're born again for salvation. And he says that we are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. When you hear this word salvation used in Bible, when people talk about being saved, when we talk about the salvation of God, what do we mean? Salvation refers to being rescued from God's wrath against our sin, right? When we say saved, we mean saved from something, saved from the justice that we deserve, saved from God's wrath against our sin, and it evokes the language of Yahweh's rescue, Yahweh's saving of Israel uh, from the wrath that he unleashed on Egypt, right? Jim Hamilton, another Southern Seminary professor, he says that the Exodus is the archetype for salvation in the Bible. So when you hear the term salvation, just as Yahweh saved Israel from the slavery, from his wrath, his judgment, this is the picture in time and space that God has given us for the true and final reality of salvation that Jesus has come to accomplish. Because salvation uh, is first and foremost a spiritual exodus. It's a spiritual salvation. It is regeneration. It is new birth. In order to be saved from God's wrath, you must be born again. You must be made new. Why? Because you have to die to that sin nature and be reborn as a new person. That's what's pictured in baptism. That we are crucified with Christ, that we are buried with Christ, and that we are raised with Christ. There is a spiritual reality that's being pointed to in the sign of the sacrament. But lest we become a sort of you know, evangelical Gnostics, this salvation is not merely spiritual. It is also physical because salvation is not complete until we are physically reborn. What am I talking about? Resurrection, right? That's our blessed hope, that this isn't just an inward reality, but the inward reality has started, and there's a day coming where this is going to be an external reality, that all of the world that every human is going to be in line with what God's will is. We're going to be physically reborn. It's, it's not finished until we experience the, the physical exodus from a world that is scarred by sin and death into the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And Peter tells us that God is keeping this hope secure in heaven for us. And, and he also tells us that God is keeping us secure here on earth in the meantime. Peter says we can be sure that God will save all of his elect because God guards us until we are finally saved. In verse 5, this doctrine has long been called the perseverance of the saints what the scripture makes clear here to us is that a better phrase is probably the perseverance of God in the saints because God is guarding us, God is keeping us. 
How does God guard us? How does God cause us to persevere? Peter tells us it's through faith. We're being guarded through faith. God guards us for our final salvation. God perseveres us in this life. How? What are the means by which God is keeping us? Knowledge, assent, and trust in the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. That's what faith is. We are being guarded. We are being kept through faith. This is why we must preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. This is why we must gather weekly as a church under the Christ-centered preaching of the word and around the sacraments. Why? Because they are the means of grace. These are the means by which God is guarding us until the second advent of Christ. And so when you neglect the means of grace, when you neglect preaching the gospel, thinking about the gospel, when you neglect the church, the gathering of the church, when you neglect the word and the sacraments, what you're doing is you're fighting against God's means to keep you a Christian. And we know that scripture tells us that God's saints will persevere, right? God's saints will persevere. He will not lose any. But do not neglect the means by which he's keeping you. N.T. Wright says, Faith itself is the anchor which holds us firm in hope. Faith itself is the anchor which holds us firm in hope. So, you know, we've seen the, the why of hope, God's mercy, the how of hope that God has caused us to be born again. The content of our hope, the what of our hope, you know, the living hope, the resurrection, the inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth, the salvation, being saved from God's wrath. But we must note one more aspect of our Advent hope, and and that is the who of hope. And scripture makes it clear that all of our hope, all of the hope that we have is wrapped up in one man. And what he did for us. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our living hope. Church, Jesus is literally hope alive. He is flesh and blood hope. Hope has has hands and feet and scars from nails. Jesus is our living hope because Jesus is the living God who gives us hope. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity who submitted to his Father's plan before the world was even created. The Father said, I'm going to send you to live and die and resurrect so that they can have hope. And Jesus said, I will go. I will be their hope. 
Jesus is our living hope because Jesus is hope incarnate. Jesus is hope with skin and bones. This is what Advent is all about. The Father sent the Son. We confessed it earlier. Pastor Mike led us to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and to live without sin and to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus is our living hope, church, because from conception through death, Jesus lived for us. And Jesus is living hope because when that hope was lying for three days in the grave, that hope did not remain dead. Hope's heart started beating again. And hope breathed in. And hope stood up and hope folded up the napkin that was on his face. And on the third day, hope walked out of the tomb. And that's why Peter tells us that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of all of it. Advent is about Easter. Church, Jesus was literally born again. A few weeks ago, Pastor Bobby preached from Colossians 1. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. And this is why the gospel is really good news. This is why it gives us hope because what God did for Jesus on that very first Easter is what God does in our hearts when he saves us. That's what it means to be born again. The resurrection life of Jesus has started inside of you. You are a new creation. What God did to Jesus on that very first Easter is what God will do for us on the last day when we are raised from the dead. This is, this is everything. Advent and Christmas are no celebration without Easter. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon himself, by the way, I was going to do this at the beginning. Birthday shout out to Haddon. He turned nine today. His namesake, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this, You are not asked to trust in a dead Jesus. If, this, is a, this, is a, this is me, this is Spurgeon. If we were asked to trust in a dead Jesus, then who cares, Right? Spurgeon said, you were not asked to trust in a dead Jesus, but in one who, though he died for our sins, has risen again for our justification. That's the Jesus we're asked to trust in. 
One who, though he died, rose again for our justification. It's a living hope. Literally, he's alive. It's a living hope. And not only is Jesus our living hope, he, Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is the inheritance. Jesus is the one who's kept safe in heaven for us. Because 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he has lived and reigned ever since. Jesus is our imperishable inheritance. Jesus is not subject to decay or to death. Romans 6 says he will never die again. Last week when Pastor Brett led us in the Eucharist, he read from the book of Revelation where it talks about Jesus holding the keys to death and Hades. Jesus isn't subject to death. Death is subject to Jesus. Because Jesus and death had a fight and Jesus won. Jesus is our imperishable inheritance. Jesus is our undefiled inheritance, isn't he? He is the one who is ritually and morally pure on our behalf. Jesus never broke God's law. Jesus never broke one of the Ten Commandments. In thought, word, or deed, Jesus never broke one of the Ten Commandments. He never sinned. He always actively loved God with all of his heart. He always actively loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus is our righteousness. He is our undefiled inheritance. And Jesus is our unfading inheritance. Jesus can never lose his wonderful and pristine character. Jesus is forever holy God. Jesus is forever the righteous man. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is the reward of our salvation. We were created for the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And Jesus is the only one through whom that goal is possible. And church, because that's true, Jesus is our salvation. He's our living hope, he's our inheritance, and he's our salvation. Jesus is the means by which we are saved. It is only through the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the saving resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. It is through Jesus that we are justified. It is through Jesus that we are sanctified. It is through Jesus that we will one day be glorified. Church, Jesus is our salvation. Do you have hope? Do you have hope this morning? If you think about what you believe, if you, if you stop and you allow yourself to think about the implications of what you believe, do you have hope? 
Because when Leo Tolstoy really thought about the implications of his atheism, of his naturalism, he saw no hope. His friends encouraged him, Leo, don't think about it. Just enjoy your life. But that doesn't sit well, does it? Because how valuable can a worldview be if it requires that you don't think? In light of that story then, Dr. Tim Keller said that atheism is dumb. Now Keller wasn't calling atheism or naturalism dumb in like a a schoolyard mocking kind of way. No, he was saying that atheism, that naturalism, that these worldviews are dumb in that in order to have genuine hope, in order to have genuine peace, in order to have genuine joy, in order to have genuine love, you can't think too much about what you actually believe. But that's not what Christianity is. That's not what the gospel is. Christianity is a smart worldview. The gospel is a smart message. You see, the more you think about the implications of what you believe, the more hope you actually have. The more peace you have. The more joy you have. And the more love you have. Church, think, think more, think more about the first advent of the Lord Jesus. Think more about how he became incarnate for you and think more about how he lived without sin for you. Think, think more about how he died on the cross for you. Think. Think more about how he rose again for you and think about how he passed through the heavens for you. Think about how he's interceding right now for you. Think. Think more about how Jesus is going to come again in his second advent. Think about how Jesus will raise the dead And judge the world and make all things new. Think more about how Jesus is going to destroy Satan, sin, and death. Think more about how Jesus will fully and finally be Emmanuel. He will be God with us. Think more about how Jesus is going to make everything sad, untrue. Hope means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. So church, on this first Sunday of Advent 2023, let us look forward with confidence to the second Advent of the Lord Jesus. Let us think, and by thinking, let us hope. Hope means to think more often and to think more deeply about the promises of God. Listen to me. Think more 
because there you will find hope. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask now in our humility that you would make our hearts believe. That you would keep your promise, that your word would not return void, that you would cause us to be born again this morning to a living hope that is an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven for salvation. Father, we pray for anyone who is in the gathering this morning who does not have faith, that you would give them the gift of faith this morning, that you would cause them to be born again through the preaching of the gospel, that you would give them that inheritance, that you would give them that salvation found in your Son alone. Father, we pray for your people that you would give us the desire and the ability to hope rightly. Father, renew our minds so that we think more often and more deeply about the gospel. In sin, in despair, in rejoicing, in worship, in work, in family, in marriage, in all things that we do, Father, Enable us to think often and deeply about the things that are true, about the first advent of Jesus, about the second advent of Jesus. Give us hope, we ask. Father, bless us as we come to the table of hope this morning. At the table of hope, we look back at your son, the living hope who was crucified and resurrected for us, and we look forward to that great marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will feast with King Jesus in the new world forever and ever. Lord, we pray now as your people have at the table for hundreds and hundreds of years, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.